Hi, folks. Welcome, and thanks for joining us on The Cream of the Crop, a podcast dedicated to agriculture. We talk to top leaders, share top ideas, and discuss top trends and products. We get to the heart of ag and put the issues on the table. Hi, folks. This is Steve Maxwell, CEO of Highland Ag Solutions, and uh, we're here today with another podcast uh, with Justin Machel, who's our co-host. He'll be joining us by phone, and Susie Friedland, who's also our producer. Uh, and today's special guest is, uh, is, a, is a friend of ours and a, a longtime proponent of inputs and the different products that are needed to uh, help make these crops here in the United States and around the world. Uh, Shan Brooks will be joining us here briefly, and uh, he's going to talk about just how the virus has affected that world. It's very critical that uh, that we all understand uh, just how crops are made. And these podcasts that we're putting out uh, over the last few weeks and the weeks to come is really an effort to explain to the uh, average consumer uh, just how how the products are generated, how they're grown, how they're packaged, how they're brought to the, your table at home. Uh, we found that the average consumer uh, really is is not fully aware of how that happens. So it's really important during this time that we uh, the we cover this. So at this time, I'll turn it over to, to Justin, and he's going to lead the conversation today. And uh, Justin, thanks for joining us from afar. Well, Steve, thanks, uh, thanks a bunch. And that was a great lead in to, uh, to the topic. You know, we want to continue the narrative uh, that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks around the coronavirus and the effects it's having on our, on our food supply. And we've talked to several growers over the last couple of weeks, and we've heard uh, some of the immediate impacts uh, that they're dealing with. But we also wanted to kind of go down the, the chain, if you will. You know, we've talked about that this is a community effort, right? Uh, farming affects not just the, the local farm itself, but the communities um, around it. And we want to go down the chain because uh, to grow these crops, uh, it requires several inputs. There's different products that, that growers use, and, uh, and there's, you know, there's some, uh, some supply chain effects uh, to that right now that's going on in the industry. And we've got a great guest lined up today. Um, you know, Shan Brooks is, is uh, joining us by phone. He is the uh, director of uh, Florida Specialty by Crop Markets and Products for Atticus. And, uh, and we want to bring him on the line today to, to get his view on what's happened in the marketplace with those crop inputs that the growers use uh, to grow the crops. Uh, so, Shan, thanks for joining us today. Uh, and if you would mind, take a, a few moments here to, uh, to you know, fill our, our listeners in on, uh, on what impacts uh, the coronavirus and the response it's having on, on your world. Thanks again, guys, for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to help share the world of, of specialty crops in the U.S. My name is Shan Brooks, and I am the director of specialty crops and markets for the U.S. for Atticus. My background is in specialty crops and has been for 25 years. Started my career working in, um, in specialty crops here in Florida and moved around the country through California and have covered most of the country since the last 15 years in specialty crop markets. Okay. Shan, well, thank you for joining us. I've got a uh, just a kind of lead-in question here. Uh, you've been in the industry for 25 years, so you've seen a lot of changes in those 25 years. But f- before we get to those, 
you know, inputs for the for the average person may not understand what that is. But when we grow a crop, uh, you've got fertilizer inputs, for example. Uh, also, you have different products that are designed to to take away a certain issue that's going on with the plant. Let's say it's a tomato plant or whatever you're growing. You may have a fungus. You may have some sort of disease that gets on that plant. The EPA has a very strict policy on what what products can be used to kill those type of uh, uh, insects or, or, or fungi. And uh, those products are what we're calling inputs. We call it crop protection inputs. Uh, so, so that's for the for the listener. That's what we're discussing today. It's very critical that those products are available because it's how the crops are made. Um, and no grower wants to use any kind of input if he doesn't have to. But they have to in many cases to, in order to make the, the crop to feed us. So, so Shannon, your in your world in the last twenty five years, uh, w- what shifts have happened and in in the supply chain of those products that we can talk about today. There's been a tremendous paradigm shift, Steve, really over the last you know, five to ten years uh, to be very dependent upon other countries to for those inputs. And, you know, that has created its own opportunity as well as uh, as well as uh, impact to our supply chain and our lack of being able to control that. So, so you, um, when you say offshore, I mean, how, how much of this product is actually made offshore compared to 10 years ago? You know, we've, we've moved most of our production in ag offshore, you know, 80% plus probably is produced offshore. And that would be in kind of a big component of that would be a big portion of that would be China and India. Um, there's, as we all know, those two countries have taken a pretty serious impact from this uh, coronavirus. So that has created its own set of struggles. I would say that uh, China is back up and running at around 75% capacity. And as we all know, I think that uh, India is now shut down for the next three weeks, really through the month of April. So companies like mine, what we do is we find ourselves getting uh, more and more, have been getting more and more diverse. Over the last few years, we've had impact of shortages for raw materials that go into making our finished goods and many other things that uh, related. And because of that, it has you know, made us be better business people. Uh, and what that means is go out, find other sources, and be able to not, you know, uh, to back up our, our supply chain from, in our particular case, three different suppliers for each one of our products that we make. So that we find that that will help us continue to be successful as we move forward and have these supply chain issues. And this one is obviously hitting the entire world, which is very common. You know, so as we move forward, hopefully uh, there'll be less and less of this. Okay. So what I see is we have a short-term issue here, and then we have a long-term uh, strategy that's probably going to shift, I would think, when this is all said and done. On the short term, how are we doing on supply chain? Are we okay uh, for this crop coming on this spring and summer? Currently, we don't. There's, you know, there there could possibly be some specific individual product shortages, but as of today, we don't see anything that's not replaceable that is short. So, all of from the input side of it and the business that we're dealing with on this particular segment is we don't see any real shortages that would cause growers to be of concern. 
that's through this crop season. That's great, great news. So if you're a consumer at home, is it common that most crop protection products are not, they're not sourced from America? Because I don't think people realize that is what I'm hearing. And why can't they be? Certainly. You know, our, our, the, our EPA is, you know, primarily the, the, the reason why we've moved most of our production offshore. Now, the plants that we were running back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, you know, those things were pretty nasty and they're very comparable probably to what we're running in China and India today. So as time moves forward and these type of opportunities continue to present themselves, I would expect that long term that you possibly will see some very upgraded high-tech production facilities come back to the U.S. And, and again, this has all happened really in the last decade, right, as far as the shift overseas? Certainly. Okay. Yeah. Hey, this is Justin. Shan, I want to ask a question here. Look, I, want to, I want our listeners to understand the importance of these crop inputs uh, the fertilizers, um, you know, the different uh, materials they're using. If if a regular grower didn't have access to your products, what would their level of output be uh, for the crops that they grow? Are we talking this is just the minimal effect if they didn't have that, or are we talking the food supply would be cut in half? Uh, what what kind of effect uh, would the growers have uh, by not having your products available? It would be quite dramatic. Justin, to, to put a number on that, you know, I'm sure there's statistics out there that I'm, you know, I'm not versed on currently, but I would say it would be 50% plus from a crop protection standpoint. Wow, so we're talking, we're talking significant reduction in the amount of food that you know, that uh, the American public would uh, would have from our growers if they didn't have these inputs that uh, that you guys uh, provide to them. That's correct. And I think you know, as we as we move forward here, this 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 type of you know, problem. Uh, I look at it as an opportunity. I think it will create a lot better business folks, and you know, including myself, my company, you know, all the companies that also provide other crop inputs. It will it will make us just be concerned about this type of thing moving forward, and, and uh, reverse back engineer ways around it. Well, I think it's going to fall right in line with the uh, the conversation the whole nation's having now. Uh, the, the one silver lining is it's every once in a while good to get perspective on the truth. You know what's really happening. We get busy and we don't um, we don't think about important things. I've always called it the tyranny of the urgent. The urgent things take precedent over the important things, and uh, and this is very important being our food supply, and this is a critical part of it. A uh, long term strategy. I know it's early. But uh, are you, what do you think? What do, what do you see on the horizon as far as decisions being made by the, by that uh, crop protection industry uh, as we come out of this uh, out of this virus? Uh, what do you see in your world? What what conversations are being had uh, as far as the future? So, Steve, you know that's a great question, and I would assure you that over the last three years, with the with the shortages that we've had with intermediates and you know, the things that we use to make our products, you know, for the last three years, there's certainly been a lot of interest in, in people putting plans together to back integrate. Whereas this has just escalated that process. So those conversations are happening now. And, you know, currently with, with the company that I work for, we were a small company, a little probably more nimble than a lot of the bigger companies. And we've been working on that process for the last few years. 
necessarily, we feel like we have positioned ourselves, very, we've diversified our inputs in various uh, different places along around the globe to overcome these shortages. And I think that now, because of the intensity of what's happening with the coronavirus, that you're going to see a very, very proactive approach from all companies that are in the crop input sector. I think it's very important, and I'm trying to get it in layman's terms, but I think it's very important for people at home to understand that these products are needed for large-scale farms. A lot of times people are like, well, you know, are there other things you can do? But large-scale farms are fighting disease and pests, right? So they need these products. Yeah, you know, currently there's only 2% of the crops in the U.S. that are grown organically. Okay. I don't know if we want to have that conversation or not, but that that's all there is. And even in an organic farm, you still need crop protection inputs, including pesticide. Okay, that's important to cover. But we can, we can pick that up, the organic world versus the traditional world. It's an important conversation to have because sometimes there is some miscommunication on both sides. Uh, but uh, the organics, you said, are 2% of the food supply right now are grown organically, correct? Yes, sir. And then those organics, really what that means is there's a certification process that has to be followed. Uh, strict protocol. There's inspect- inspections and audits that are made, um, but they still have inputs that have been approved under the organic uh, title and organic qualification. Correct. Correct. Okay. Such as copper. I know copper is one of those. Um, but uh, and then you've got the traditional, which is uh, still heavily, heavily regulated, heavily, heavily tested. Nobody wants to be poisoned, you know, and that's kind of the image that people have. But uh, the the products have been tested by our EPA, and uh, the uh, I know even the food supply chain. Once it is produced, uh, when I was in the food supply chain selling produce, even back in the nineties and uh, early two thousands, uh, there was testing being done on practically every load that we sent out wherever it wound up the uh, the retailers tested we had uh, current uh, testing at our facilities to make sure that all those uh, restrictions and the proper amount of inputs were put on those these products so that they were they were safe for the consumer to consume so you've got the you got you do have two uh it's a, it's a controversial thing, uh, but it's still it's it, it's something that needs to be explained and understood uh, so that that everybody is is fully aware and, and has the right information. And I think sometimes when I talk to friends, they're like, well, why do we need them anyway? Why do we need them on the crops? And mm-hmm. I was you know, you try to and if someone like Shan can explain it better when you have a large commercial crop can't just leave it to nature (laughs) she may be able to explain it better yeah i mean you know as far as the need for you know traditional chemistry on crops there is definitely uh, you know without it we would we would see people starving in our country we've currently got the safest most abundant food supply in the world and you know if we were to go back to organic farming kind of how our you know our my father's father had to grow up uh, prior to traditional chemistry. We were farming in the backyard, and that would be more representative of what would be necessary should that ever have to take place, which is you know, very ironic in a world that we live in today with the fast-paced technology and all the things that we do. 
to imagine that, but that would be really the only avenue. It's funny. I was talking to my mother this past week about even her generation. That's just one generation removed from me. I'm not that old, uh, but they lived off the farm. I mean, they literally, they butchered their meat. They salt cured or smoked the meat. Uh, the crop was grown. They canned. Uh, they put up the vegetables in the spring and in the fall. And they literally had a storehouse within their house. So they had their own grocery store. So what you're saying is to go back to that, everyone would need to go back to the farm, which we've migrated from the farm to the cities. And the reality of the cities going back to the farm is probably slim to none uh, this day and age. So, So we're left with what we're talking about. We need to have commercial farming, larger farms, even though the bulk of the specialty crops are still from, you know, uh, smaller farms, but still they have to grow on a large scale. My granddad had a, about 150 acres of that probably, you know, he farmed netted out of maybe a hundred acres and he had five kids and that was his labor force. That's right. uh, and uh, that th- those days are gone. Hopefully they're gone for good, but, <laughs> but, uh, well, Steve, it, go- it goes back to the, the conversation that we had in the last few podcasts about the consumers are just so, uh, they're so reliant upon going into, their local Publix or Walmart or, or Kroger and buying whatever food they want at any time, you know, that we've taken the seasonality out of it, you know, this global food supply, you can go buy blueberries anytime, you know, you can go buy tomatoes anytime. It's no longer uh, waiting until the summer for the seasonality of it to come in. And, uh, and, and there's so many millennials now that that's, that's all they know is go to the grocery store, uh, not necessarily, uh, you know, where it comes from. So it's it, and with the population growing and expanding, and in 20 years from now, you know, there's no telling how many people are going to be out there. The food supply is going to have to double at that point, and and for that to happen, you got to have access to these inputs. You got to be able to to grow large scale, and that's why I think it's so important, you know, for Shan and and uh, Atticus to be, you know, a, a player in this uh, in this market and uh, be able to provide, you know, these products. Uh, sustainably to these these growers. If there's any interruption in it, there's going to be interruption in the food supply. And uh, and and Chan, I guess I want to ask you this. You know, you're you're focused on the the Florida segment, but Atticus as a whole, uh, are you guys a nationwide company? Are you working with growers across the country? Or are you very targeted in certain regions? Uh, can you explain to our listeners, you know, where where your markets are and and you know what growers you guys work with today? We are a U.S.-based company, so we cover the entire United States. Our primary focus in my segment is the specialty segment. Now, we have a whole crop team also that works in the Midwest for these, you know, uh, corn and soybean, wheat, those type of crops as well. But we do cover the entire United States. And that kind of goes along with uh, the conversation from a week ago, too, about the, you know, road crops versus specialty crops. And so your, your company is providing inputs to the big grain uh, growers out in the Midwest, and then you're also focused on the specialty crops, which is your fresh fruits and fruits and vegetables uh, to those growers as well, right? Yeah, that's okay. Fantastic. Yeah. You, you brought up a very good point in uh, talking about the population growth and those kind of things. I was just reading a statistic here this morning that's put out by the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs. They claim by 2050 that we will need 50% more fuel. 70% more crop output and 50% more water than we have today. 
is a pretty pretty staggering numbers to know where we have to be in the next 30 years. Well, and it's so important, you know, this conversation we're having today about changing the paradigm on outsourcing, you know, all these inputs, outsourcing our food supply. We need to, to really think, and it's a critical situation. It's a critical discussion we've got to have about, you know, what is the direction of this country? Uh, where, where, where do we intend to have our food supply come from? Do we want to relook at it? We want to support our, our local, you know, American farmers. Do we want to continue to rely on foreign countries to provide that, to provide the inputs, to provide our, uh, our, our, you know, chemicals for medical care, all that stuff. We really need to think about that, right? Because we don't ever want to be held in a hostage situation by any uh, foreign country. Uh, but, you know, the direction of, of growth here over the next 20 years, these are critical discussions that have got to happen today uh, to make sure that we're prepared for that in the future. And, uh, and it's, it's companies like, you know, like uh, Atticus and, and uh, other growers and, and folks we've had on the show here over the last few weeks that are going to be, you know, major, uh, major players in that, in that discussion and, uh, and moving this, this forward, you know. Shan, appreciate you coming on board and helping explain uh, that, that supply chain, the critical, critical nature of the inputs. We appreciate what you do. You know, the only other thing to add, uh, I did get an update from our logistics team, just asking them what they're seeing with this thing, what the impacts are. And, you know, one of the things that they're saying is the LTL shipments are pretty stable. Um, the drivers are having to maintain social distance and hygiene, so they can't really drop off their, you know, suspending inside deliveries. So that's having a little bit of impact. There's been delays that have been experienced due to unexpected business closures along these LTL plan routes. And for for the for the listener, LTL so less than truck, less than load, less than truck load, less than truck load. Mm-hmm. So the majority of our stuff that's moved around the country is primarily in, in LTLs. Okay. And when when you look at what's going on with them right now, that that's probably the of, of all of the you know food security stand from a food security standpoint, I would say that's probably got has the most potential impact of anything that we see currently on our side. There is there, even in the uh, crop protection world, traditional, there's been a real push also to get to a more natural product line base, correct? Over the last few years. Major, extremely smart people that are working diligently to work on exactly that, Steve. The biological segment of the of the crop inputs uh, side of the world, there there is um, major research finally being put around that. Um, you know, it's a very hard business model, uh, meaning that it takes a lot of money upfront capital to help create some of these plant based type products. Uh, but there is major research dollars now being put around that, and and a lot of success happening there. Would you would you say that's a major shift in the last five years? Oh, it's absolutely a, a huge paradigm shift. So, what's an example? Can you give an example of something that may be coming to the forefront soon? Uh, well, there's quite a few. So, an example would be uh, they're using microbes basically to you put microbes microbials which are organic material, for lack of better terminology, onto your crop. And that microbial active, microbial type product actually either eats the pest, meaning a fungi, a weed, uh, uh, an insect, or disrupts its life cycle, um, stuff like that, that actually 
turns the plant's immune system on, helps trigger some of these pathways that a plant has, where it helps the plant itself fight off an infection, similar to what we would do in in human health. So, you know, eating better, those kind of things, helping, you know, treat your crop as you do, you know, a human. And that's what we've been doing for for. The, the entire you know time we've been in agriculture in general, just the technology is becoming more and more available as we put a lot of research dollars into better understanding it. And in the past, we haven't really spent those kind of dollars. It's really, like Steve said, happened over really the last five to ten years is where the, the major in, emphasis has been put. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Incredible. Well, Shannon, it's a huge industry. I think the uh, crop protection world makes up about a trillion-dollar industry globally. Um, and uh, it's very important, uh, just to summarize our, our time here today, um, there is the organic pathway, which is very limited right now. Uh, we need the crop inputs to make to feed the nation, to feed the world. But it sounds to me like also that there is a move toward a more natural remedy that still has the the effect of a traditional input, but uh, much less harsh to the uh, to the environment and to the to the plant itself. Is that correct? Is that a good summary. That's correct. Great summary. And so, thank you again for explaining. And the other takeaway from this meeting is uh, is we we should have plenty of supply for this spring and summer for the United States. So we should have hopefully decent markets for for our farmers to produce these crops and get them sold, get us fed as we get through this this crisis. So. Thank you for your time, Justin. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, Shan, thanks so much for for joining us today. Uh, a lot of valuable insights into what you and your company are doing to to support the, the farmers across this country, and and uh, we need you. Uh, the farmers need you. Our, our consumers need you to to continue to um, to produce a good, safe, wholesome food supply. And, uh, and we just appreciate your time on the show today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And folks, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time to, to join us on this as we continue to explore the, uh, the food chain and uh, the effects that, uh, that our response to this coronavirus uh, continue to have on it. Uh, so thanks again for, for joining us. And uh, until next week, uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us today. This podcast has been a presentation of Has Media, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Be sure to follow us on social media on Instagram and Facebook at Highland Ag Solutions and catch the video presentation of this podcast on our YouTube channel. 